We are in Champions League, man. That was my Dilly din, dilly dong, come on. I will love it if we beat them. Love it. This is the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast with Gary Kearney. Hello, welcome to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. My name is Gary Kearney. Joining us for this episode is Michael Scabala, England head futsal coach, also author of Developing the Modern Footballer Through Futsal. Huge amount of experience in the futsal world, achieved the highest ever world ranking for an England national futsal team. He's also been the director of football at Loughborough University. Phenomenal insight here. This is the first podcast I've done on futsal. I'm actually embarrassed to say, doing a little bit of research on it and finding out that there's different levels to this and the amount of transfer and detail into 11 v 11 is uh, was a really really eye-opening experience for me uh, and also in my research for this i came across an article with the english fa that i'm going to put the link below and it's got some video as well of michael's environment and and coaching some of the work that he was doing alongside the team that i referenced in the questions so definitely recommend checking that out please let me know what you think Gary Kernin on Instagram, at Gary Kernin on Twitter. Also just started up a new Modern Soccer Coach page on Instagram. So so if you're looking for more session ideas and more content, please go on Instagram, give us a follow. This podcast is sponsored by Keyframe Analysis. If you're a coach who is looking for tactical analysis software, I highly recommend Keyframe, one of the most efficient and effective and affordable solutions for coaches who are looking to build graphics and animations alongside their analysis. Loads and loads of examples on the Modern Soccer Coach website. You can get a free trial on the link below the bio and also on the website as well. I'll put this interview up on the website. You can click on there and there's a free trial that that shows you a keyframe. And go and have a look at it for sure. Absolutely brilliant. Also on the Modern Soccer Coach website, there's a ton of new content that we're putting on. More and more regular some session ideas, session breakdown, tactical analysis pieces, also interviews. So if you enjoy it, it's all free. The only thing we ask is that you share it. And if you really, really enjoy it and you want to keep it coming, uh, the Modern Soccer Coach shop, books, webinars, all that good stuff, you can support us through there as well. And also the sponsors, Keyframe. Thank you for all your help. Here is Michael. Enjoy. Michael, thank you so much for joining me today on the Modern Soccer Coach podcast. Really, really excited to get you on. No, thank you. Thank you for having me. It's great to uh, discuss futsal and football and the links, and hopefully it can uh, bring some good listening. Yeah, I think I think this is going to be a big one. I think there's there's a big demand for, for finding out a little bit more about futsal. You just mentioned there before we started recording about looking under the bonnet. I think that's a great term. Um, it's something that I think... We, we we don't really understand fully, but I'm ashamed to say that this is my first futsal podcast. I've tried to touch on a number of areas, so um, I'm I'm excited to get educated today. So the first the first question I have for you, I suppose, is just an intro one. Is the game has exploded over the world? I feel we were just talking before we start recording about the growth in the in the US. Uh, you started in it way before it became fashionable. Fashionable, I suppose. Uh, what was your pathway into the game? How did you get introduced to it? 
Yeah, sure. So um, back many years, uh, I want to say 2003, maybe a bit, bit earlier, um, I was playing, well, like most people in England, I was playing in an academy, got released, um, did my started to do my coaching badges. I went off to university uh, and played conference football. So I played conference football, non-league football, so a decent level, right? Um, and at the point I was at university, I represented Great Britain University's football team, so World University Games, and I was part of that structure. And at the point, the head coach at the time, Graham Dell, was the very first national coach for futsal in England, but he was also the the Great Britain University's football coach. Um, and I um, was doing well in the football. And I think he thought, well, actually, he's got some attributes that might do well in futsal. So we're starting a futsal team or close to it. A couple of years after they started it, he asked me if I wanted to get involved. And I was like, wow, what is it? <laughs> you know, like, what's what were we talking about here? Because in English culture at that point, it was like, didn't even, even, even heard of it. Um, jumped on a plane to Thailand uh, and walked out in front of about 7,000 people watching a game of futsal, i.e. us versus thailand and i was just like whoa okay this is this is different and i thought i could i could play a little bit technically good fit um and we lost i can't remember what the score was i think it was something like eight eight one and um we couldn't get anywhere near the ball and i, and I thought i could play a little bit right through going through you know decent level and non-league getting paid training three times a week and I couldn't get anywhere near these group of players and these Thai groups of players in the environment and and then you went out on the bus to the hotel and you just saw everybody playing it. And I was like, God, there's, there's, there's got to be something in this, right? And, and just stuck with it, really. But but try to study, right? Just try to study the whole way. Um, then, so stayed in it. So playing football and futsal. Um, then moved probably later into more futsal specific. Whilst coaching, whilst teaching, whilst doing all my badges. Um, and just making sure that from that top point, I was basically doing both. Um, and then most recently, obviously, with the national team job last X amount of years, specialising a little bit more in futsal and taking it a bit further. So, yeah, that was my introduction, really, which was a baptism of fire, but quite a good one. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. Um, the I suppose like the, the first real question would be like in terms of the coaching of it, because I want to get stuck into that because I think there's just so much to it. I'll tell the coaches listening that, a lot of stuff that where I've drawn questions from has been the boot room article where you've done the video. Yeah. And here, I absolutely loved it. Like, just the way it was presented, fantastic. The different sections it goes down. So I'll put the link on that for coaches. Oh, yeah. but, but the first thing that jumped out at me was this decision-making component. Uh, and and because there are, and, and this is just my perception of it, lesser players more decisions more more freedom and fluidity in the game equals more decisions where do you start <laughs> now where's the framework start in this yeah um yeah good question um i suppose like oh, it's a really good question i suppose like any invasion game i think it, it can be look it can be really complex but the coach's job is to make it simpler for the player but also giving you know, this term's overused sometimes, the ownership to the player to make the decisions. But, you know, I, I believe that um, any sport, especially in, like I say, invasion games where you go against one, you need to make three, you need to go through three processes. And, you know, I've, I've, I've studied this with a friend of mine, James Ellis, over years where I did the World University Games. We talked about, you have to make a, you have to see it. So perception, mm -hmm. then you have to make a decision, like, but we're talking about the decision and then you have to act it, right? The technical bit. And I always say, you know, perception, decision, action. We have to go through those processes as a player. Um, 
However, you know, where do you coach? Do you coach perception? Do you coach decision or do you coach action? And a lot of the time, you know, to do is to do the action. But actually, is that what's breaking down or is it the decision or is actually the perception? And in that cycle, because it is a cycle, where do you support the player and how do you build and support that player? So, you know, futsal is really quick, right? So you, you tend to build a framework for decision making and then the freedom is with the player. And you spend a lot of time talking about, you know, perceptual, what you're seeing, what decision you're making, and then the technical action. But everybody's drawn to futsal as a as a technical game. Everybody sees it as a technical game. I actually think if you get under the bonnet, like we use that term of futsal, what futsal really teaches you is about perception, decision, off the ball with movement. And I think the beauty of the game is how you find space and how you utilize that space, how you mold that space to become a better player, to have more time, to make better decisions. Um, and the action really is the the output of those two processes for me. So, you know, my, my own sort of grown philosophy would be around those three elements and how do you coach through those three elements and how do you support the learner, the player through those three elements? And that can be quite didactic at times and that can be telling them about what's the best decision or, or that can be quite, you know, freer to say, well, um, you can make any decision you like but in the same sense like I think you always have to draw it back to the demands of the game so actually when we're asking them to be free decision making does it have the framework of the game uh, does it look like the game is it are we asking you to make decisions that you can make in the game and then how do you scaffold I call it scaffolding and build that support around the players to to understand that and I think you know you can't tell a futsal player what to do on a court because it's so fast and by the time I've even opened my mouth the decision's gone, the situation's gone. So you tend to be really sort of um, you coaching those things and it gives them more ownership to the players to make the freedom of the decisions. But but you sure you've got to have a framework, you've got to have a structure, you've got to have a plan around that. Does that make sense? Is that yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. So it's it's the what you're saying there, I th I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, that we probably misinterpret it at the level of execution because it's the technique. Um but but probably then I would say that that's that's what jumps out to the regular coach first of all how they manipulate the football yeah. is it, so would that be is that something that uh, does that have to be almost you to scaffold is there a technical skill set that's completely different or unique to the eleven v eleven footballer? Um, yeah, good question. It's like when you speak to a I suppose go back to the point about like if, naturally the the technique comes out because of the speed, right? So the game is fast, but you know, as an ex experienced futsal coaches can tell a fast game of futsal, a slow game of futsal. I'll give you an example: a, a futsal game on a wooden court is faster than a game on a rubber court, and you can tell the difference. And I explain that by saying, like, you know, when you play on a wet, dew surface in grass and the ball zipping around, that's like a wooden court. When you play on a rubber court, it's like it's a dry surface; the ball rolls more. And the top level players and the top coaches can even tell the differences in the speed of that. So, but the technical bit comes from the demands of the game and the constraints of the game. So less space, less time demands more technical elements. So, you know, for me, and I, I've said this in lots of times, the, the game gives back so much feedback from the constraints. So the fact that it, you, you don't play to a wall makes that you have to be, you know, you have to be good with the ball. You can't just boom it and kick it off. You lose possession. You'll get punished. Um, the surface and the ball together make the game fast. So you can put a, uh, you can put a futsal ball on grass, 
But ultimately, that would be slower than putting a football on grass. So if you're after fast returns, then that wouldn't necessarily work. Um, the goals are obviously three by two metres. So that basically means for the kids, the players, you have to move the ball closer to the goal or have a harder shot. So like, and then you've got the laws. So if it comes out to you, you can't go back unless it goes over the halfway line. So all these sort of cocktail of constraints, I think gives the player some demands that are not always placed on them as feedback. So I think the game does a lot, right? I'm not, I'm not going to do myself a disservice. Here. I think the game for football development does quite a lot. And so it develops certain techniques. Um, so for example, the, na the natural one that sits out to all players, oh, and I've heard this with coaches, oh, you must use your soul. Well, no, you, you mustn't, but they use the soul because we call it oriented control, which means you control it and set it up for your next move in one pass. So actually it's faster over a process to use your soul than to have a touch, get your head up, take a touch out your feet. So actually, it, but there's no need to use your soul if you can do it with your instep quick. There's no rule against that. Mm. Uh, it's just a natural technique that's come out. But what I find is that players that have grown up with football and futsal can jump into futsal, even though the footballers and just fit straight back in. It seems like their toolbox is bigger. It seems like their toolbox is better. Um, if you've not grown up with futsal, i.e. me, suddenly go into a futsal environment and I have to use my instep in a really tight situation when actually I should use my soul, I find it a little bit more tricky to convert. Um, so, but if you put that again in a football context, you know, you're seeing a lot more of soul being used at certain areas, toe pokes, um, the ability to lock defenders 1v1, those types of situations. And, and I think this is because, you know, a lot of the players that we admire are, are doing both to, to start really. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that that technical base about the eleven v eleven footballer versus the futsal footballer. You're saying there that one probably goes into the other ecosystem a lot easier. Is is that because that the futsal game is so fluid that you can't actually be one dimensional? That you've got to be probably a, a jack of all trades, so to speak, technically. Yeah, um, I think if, it depends on the age and it depends on the pathway and it depends on the why like but if a kid grows up with um futsal i wouldn't call him a, a specialist right i'd just call him a kid playing futsal that's growing through it and if, and then at some point you know what what i think is that you know at some point different nations will choose between a football player and a futsal player and that for me that's 14 16 depending um on them as individuals as well right so we've got to remember we're putting the individual in this system we're not just talking about you've got to do this or that and get the technique the individual's part of that process um at the top level there is you know i wouldn't say there's 100 different tactics and techniques but there's definitely things that are different and it's positive there's positive transfer between two games and there's negative transfer between two games and i think understanding that it's positive and understanding that it's negative to the both actually makes you a more all-rounded coach, whether you're in football or futsal. Um, so yeah, there, was, there would be things that I would ask of a football player at a top level that I wouldn't ask of a futsal player and vice versa. And there'd be certain places where the game doesn't give you that technical return. So for example, uh, a 40-meter 40, 40 diagonal switch from right back to left wing is not that is not that distance so you're not going to get that from playing the game mm -hmm. um but conversely you could argue you're not going to get like you know it's like playing 37 v 37 on a football pitch mm -hmm. so the time and space you get in futsal is less so actually does the game create different types of players for football if that's what you want it to be i would say i would say yes you know um so come back to your question do you 
the rotation bit at the top level there's still positions right at the top level there's still specialists at the top level there's still roles that require you what i think is it's more 80 20 so you spend 80 percent i call it the 80 20 you spend 80 percent of being a specialist but 20 percent of the time you've got to do the other stuff mm. whereas maybe in football you can be a number nine and you never really have to do any other stuff and i think that's where the game of futsal is brilliant for, for feedback and brutal because if you don't do certain things in a game of futsal because there's only small numbers you might let your team down right yeah we'll get to that there but we've kind of gone through the technical approach and, and how that's probably the first thing a, a, a traditional coach looks at 11 v 11 coach looks at but then you've got Something that, again, when I started watching a bit more of it, the speed of the game and the demands of the game, I never hear sports science and futsal linked. And again, yeah. probably ignorant of me because it's yeah. indoor sport. But yeah. is, there a, is, there a, is there a heavy emphasis on science? Is, does that physical component need to be there? Wow, yeah. So I think like, any again, any sport, there's a physical element to it. And if there's a physical element to it, there's science behind it. And if there's science behind it, there's recruitment strategies behind it. And if there's recruitment strategies yeah. behind it, you know, there's development behind it, right? So um, I think physically at the top level, the games are slightly different. So that doesn't mean you can't do either or, but I think physically the demands are slightly different. So to put that into to science, like a futsal player would probably spend 90, 95% of his heart rate max for about four minutes playing absolute you know going at it at high tech which creates the intensity in the game right mm. um and then comes off and recovers and goes again so that so basically they're like in if you were to get a football player that's never played futsal but it's got a really good stamina engine to come indoors within three minutes they'll be blown up and they'd have to sit down and it would probably take them 15 20 minutes to recover from their height rate right, max however a futsal player is really good at recovering so someone that's grown up in um, futsal could probably get, let's take it really sciencey, you know, on a bleep test would probably get a low score, but they'd be recovered within 30 seconds. Whereas a footballer would get a high score, but once they've gone into the heart rate max, and we're generalising here a little bit, their recovery would take a lot longer. So the energy systems in the professional end of both games are slightly different. Um, but, you know, with the kids, with the, grow, with, with the developing systems, the high intensity play again, the game of being really fast and really quick, you need to have a good anaerobic system that you can build through. So the other st stuff around it is the speed in which you need to change direction. You know, like some of the, what I call breaking strength for futsal players is so good because they're used to, you know, dropping two feet rather than one foot, changing direction, um, the, the speed of ability with the ball, not just without the ball. So what's their speed look? So, if you go to the physical, you know, the foot, but the foot, the things a futsal specialist probably don't have is the top end 60 meter sprints because they don't need them, right? So they've got to be good over 10 meters. The first 10, probably 10 meters, they're rapid. But after that, their energy system, not their energy, but their speed isn't there. So yeah, it's, it creates different physical demands, um, but, but creating for it different physical demands actually can help areas of physical that footballers need. So, you know, I look at, most of the modern game of football at the minute, which is high pressing. And, you know, it seems like the modern football is going to the, the press. Well, actually, that's more like futsal to me than than it was sort of 10 years ago um, where people were playing more mid-blocks. Yeah, into the, the tactics now, the the one of the complexities, I think, for me is that in-game coaching. Like, this this blows me away. 80, 80 average substitutions, which I can't imagine... 
a game that is so fluid and so uh, there's so many interchanging with positions, this balance between control and freedom and structure and then giving the players the license to do what? How much, Let's start in the 80 substitutions. How much of that is pre-planned and how much of it is just they they go off when they when they feel like it? I mean, at what stage are you, how are you planning for that in the match? Yeah, no, great question. Um, you learn to, right? <laughs> if you do it, you do it more, you learn to. So, um, um, let me think. Um, it's it's like, it, I'll be honest, when, you, when I come off a game of futsal at international level and um, I've managed the game, I'm tired. There's no doubt I'm really tired because of all these computing decisions, but you have a good staff team with you, help with those decisions. So, um Football so much you you can be tired, but you're not tired in the same way mentally tired, you know. And 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 I've spoke to basketball coaches around this. Similar similar to them, they're tired because they're making changes, and every change is a computer decision in your head. Um, so I'll give you an example. Yes, it's it's definitely it can be planned. It doesn't always have to be planned. Sometimes in the game, the players are making those decisions. Sometimes you're making those decisions, but everything's structured around those decision making processes. So. For example, what would you make a decision on a substitute on? Well, you'd make a decision on like-for-like player. Is it like-for-like? Forward player for forward player. Are they the same forward player, a pivot? Are they a roaming pivot? Are they a false pivot that we call them? Is it a fix or a Batman? You do like-for-like. Now, sometimes the players will just make that decision because physically they'll go, whoom, and the person that represents them the same on the bench will jump and go, yeah, I'll do that. Other times it'd be like, no, no, I don't want you on tactically. I want someone else on tactically. Um, and that could be you want a faster 1v1 player on. You want a better pos- a possession builder. You want someone that can play in between the lines better because what your opposition is doing. You want inverted wingers that can cut inside and play a diagonals and shoot. Or you want you know players that can go down the side of the block. Um, so each decision you're making with, for example, substitutions, you're, you're definitely computing a lot of stuff. I would say... It's interesting. You say in game coaching, I would say you're managing more, but not coaching more. So because of the speed of the game, I would say by the time you get to the game, you're managing the game more, making strategical decisions. Your coaching's been done. Um, so the players know the plan, the players know the structure, they know the opposition, how they want to, and all that stuff. So the players have the freedom within the framework, as I call it, to make those decisions. But you're definitely managing that a lot more. You're managing your opposition. You're watching your opposition. Mm. It might be physically you're making changes. So you can. I know, for example, that some of my players had a three-minute window before they die. I know some of them have a six-minute window before they die. I know my high-intensity players that after they've done one or two big sprints, they've got to get them off. I know some players could do 22 minutes and roll and manage the game. So you've got loads of those different sort of... Um, computer decisions you know some players play well together so twos threes fours um you could tactically i'm going on here but you could tactically change four and four for a different type so i could get a defensive four i can get attacking four i can get a set piece four um but ultimately before i have like everything like that was planned right i know my good fours i know my uh, ball playing four i know my defensive four so if i'm winning a game i'd put probably more defensive four on um so I'd, I'd know all that through my player mm. learning, through what I'd want, through my selection processes. Um, but I would have, like, I called it what-if plans. So I would have what-if plans. So, for example, what would be my first changes if we're nil-nil? What would, what would I do at one nil at 
25 minutes? What would I do if I'm 2 0 down? What would I do if I'm winning at 3 0? And how do you fit your personnel into that? So, mm. yeah, you know, now that doesn't mean I wouldn't go by the, my guts, but ultimately I would have a process that sits behind my guts. Um, and I'd still have to make in gut decisions and I'd still have to go by the, the science and the GPS and, and everything we talk about. But it's just fitting all the pieces together to help you manage the game. The one complaint I have on the boot room article was that it made your uh, in-game management seem very, very cohesive and smooth. And I'm thinking, I, I can't get my head around that because like I, I've managed in college in America, you've got yeah. probably about eight to nine subs. because it's all, And I really struggled to manage because here's what I want to ask you. At, at a decent level, it gets to the stage where he or she is not performing. It's not their day. So yep. you have someone saying, all right, Stevie's coming on, Johnny's coming on, or off and on. Do you ever have to step in and be like, not today, Johnny, sit back down? Yeah, that's performance, right? That's mm. performance. So, so yeah, so, yeah, 100%. So, like, we, I would have, um, like my say, my different fours, but then I'd have other players that fit into those different fours. And if, if for whatever reason, a player's not on it, yeah, 100%, I'd step in and go, sorry, you know, I want X in today and, you know, I think they're doing better. Well, I wouldn't have that conversation mm-hmm. at that point on the bench because we haven't got the time. But, you know, players aren't stupid, right? Players know that if you, you're, not, you're not having them on that day or you, you think that someone else is doing better, or it might even be that someone's just having a bigger impact on, on the strategy that you want. Um, yeah, you just get used to you just get used to doing that on the bench. So, like, I would generally look at the game tactically, and I would say to my assistant, right, boom, boom, boom. I want these next four. I want my second four. I want I want pivot for pivot. They would make the substitution. So we'd have a strategy on the bench to manage all this this computing as well. So it wouldn't be just me. I'd have my assistant, you know, managing the substitutions and. You know, but and again, but the players also self-manage that. So if a player's running off like I've just done three doggies from sprint to back and I'm the backman, and I know that if I stay on, I'm gonna cause us a problem, the next backman will jump up and change. But then I could change him within 20 seconds to say, Okay, I want this backman on because I've got three, but I want him on because I want another four with you in it later. So you've even got the forward planning for, for who you want. So I love it because you you you've got so much like um you make so many bad decisions, but also you're making so many decisions, you're making some good ones. So actually, in a way, I love it because you're having such an impact. You know, like you, as much as you make decisions right, you've you got a chance of making it right, you've got a chance of making it wrong. Mm-hmm. So I think the game of futsal for coach development is actually brilliant, is mm-hmm. actually really brilliant because we talk about player development all the time, but what about coach development or what about how it helps you refine decision making in substitutions for example you know if you take the course of 10 years of working in futsal you've made tens of thousands of substitution have you made the same in football and, and have you really have you really thought about why you're making them so mm. yeah very interesting the, the accountability with the you know if you don't track a run it's it could be curtains at the other end you could cost your team a goal you said there if you're not really at the best physically Sometimes, like the accountability in, in 11 v 11 is quite high as well, set pieces where footballers almost struggle globally is that taking responsibility or recognizing that accountability. I mean, is that something that, that you follow up? How do you drive accountability on a daily basis in those moments? Yeah, uh, I think you've probably hit the nail on the head of what's brilliant about the game for football development. 
the 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 feedback you get instantly instantly from futsal around your decisions is straight away right it's just brilliant because if you don't if you press badly as a number 9 in football you've got another 10 other people another 40 meters you're not always punished for it right mm-hmm. and you can go well yeah and you don't really go back to it because there's so there's bigger pictures to carry on but you know if you press badly in futsal and you get popped around it could be a goal because you you've they've become 4v3 or, or or you've not got back quick enough so that's where you get feedback because you're getting feedback on your press straight away that it wasn't right for whatever reason or you got beat. So to give that example. So I actually think like the instant feedback you get from futsal, small-sided, I think if it's managed and developed properly is is superb for player development. And it's interesting you said that one of the areas that I, you know, we took, we have futsal players and we started to take football, like professional football players out of the game. And one area they really they were good technically. They could take things on. But the one area they struggled with was the transition, the, spe- the speed of transition. And I think futsal is, a, at times, the speed of the transition, the speed of thought that a futsal player has is is phenomenal. You know, and at the top, top level, the, the speed is, what, six or seven times quicker than a football game. So if you get a shot off, the keeper saves it. And we call that, you know, that's not what you want to happen. And they zip it down past you. You've got to be back quickly. And you've got to have the principles of the game lied in. So I think it's about... You know, we talk about principles all the time in futsal, principles and concepts so that players can make decisions. And principle one is you've got to get, if you lose the ball, you've got to get behind the line of the ball, everybody. That's principle one, you know. Whether you're pressing, whether you're mid-block, whether you're low-block, that's the first principle because otherwise you haven't got three lines of defence. So we talk about always having three lines of defence in that principle. Um, Then we talk about, you know, like you say, the speed of transition, the lines of transition, um, and yeah, so I, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm totally with you on that. And that's what I'm saying about like at the start of the conversation, think about what players are doing off the ball, either in possession or out of possession. And that really gives you the, the wow factor from the game if you were looking at it for player development. And also, if you think about what they're doing off the ball as a futsal coach, I think that's where you see the, the good players. Actually, but we hone in on the bit they're on the ball all the time so much. We're missing a lot of that. We can miss a lot of that and... Yeah, so it's a great point, really. Did I answer that question? I can't remember. Absolutely, no, absolutely. I'm, I'm loving this here. Whenever going to that transition, because I, I feel that attacking transition, I always felt and still feel like it's the hardest moment to coach because of you mentioned that who decision, perception, execution. When the players are in that moment, and you say that the the eleven v eleven struggle. Which one is it? Is it the decision, or is it the perception, or which which element do you feel? Ooh, um, I think, well, first is the switching on to the, 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 the change of action. Mm. So like um, the, res- the, the, the res- emotional response and time you can have to go, oh, I've lost possession, now I've got to get back. You don't have that time in futsal. It's like you've lost possession, forget it, go. The next action is the most important. The next action is always the most important. Um, and, and I think that's the bit around like the, 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 the psychological, mental constraint of the game because it's quick because it changes so quick because it changes the possession so quick you have you don't have time to moan at the referee you don't have we you know you don't have time to think about what you've just done you need to make the right decision now whether you've lost possession gain possession and then around that scaffold and build like the perception stuff around you know quickly is your i used to say you know let's take positive i call it positive transition transition defense to attack you know uh, overload is better than speed for me. So, for example, you know, if you quickly look up and you've got three players against two, K 
keep the overload for as long as possible, keep the ball central. There's a concept, there's a principle that you need to go to. Don't just lift your head and run down the side of the lane because you'll just get one player could protect that against the against the line. So, you know, once you've got them to understand the speed, then you need to get them to understand the principles and then you need to understand the concepts. And then they're in a place where they can make some real good decisions around the game and what's happening. And we always forget, you know, when we're coaching, that it's not just about us because you've got an opposition. So the scenario is always built around you plus the opposition. And I think that's that's the key to it in really, like you take the transition moment um, around that. With this here, moving along nicely in the, the decision-making of the player and going back to that aspect of it. And, and again, another aspect of the, the video that, that was quite big on was discussion groups with the players, the the, the superdeal table and the players. Think, yeah, yeah re- I, I love that there. What, where, what fascinates me or interests me is that with players who aren't, like don't grow up with in the UK, like if I was placed in that scenario to have a discussion group uh, and I have 25 odd years of 11 v 11 coaching behind me, I would not know where the you know where to start do you give them a framework of how or what to discuss or is that fairly open on situations or I suppose how do you facilitate that there for me your framework comes from your game model so your framework always links back to your model and how you want to play and what principles you have that sit behind the game model and that so i call it you know sub principles principles moments of the game where you are on the pitch you know what what phase you are in that game and then players you know, then you teach the players the options, but what are the best options depending on what the opposition do, right? So, you know, and usually for me, that that always comes back down to pressure, pressure on the ball. What does pressure look like on the ball with the ball and without the ball? What are the best decisions you can make collectively when your teammate is being pressed from inside and outside and how do you all move together? And so you start to scaffold, what I call scaffold those things with the players. And it's interesting on that, that, that was a senior group of players, right? And it would be very stupid of me to work with any senior group of players and not get their opinions of what they're feeling and what they're seeing. Um, but it's not its not like, I, I, it's not throwing the French book at them and saying, learn French. Mm-hmm. It's like, given the French book and say on page 56, I think this is a good idea. What do you think out of page 56 we can adapt for us? And what do you think we can take? So I think there's a subtle difference between letting them have all the discussion and it doesn't matter what. And I'm very much around setting the learning environment up off the court as well as on the court, but you've got to have the same frameworks that you have on it. So there's no point in going, right, do what you want. It's not about like for me in high performance, doing what you want. It's about, we know you need to make the decisions as players. We have some ideas, concepts that we've built with you. What now would we think is the best scenario to go and play them? What do you think is going to come out? And how do we now practice them at high performance level? And how can we get the most out of it? And how do you all know that you're all on the same page, right? Because that's what building the team's about. It's not just about me being good as an individual. You know, if I if I go past the player on the, the outside, it's going second post or shot. Who's on the second post? So to give you an example of that, we would talk about like finishing futsal is second post, top of D, second post, top of D. So if I've made an, an attack and I'm going to put the ball anywhere, it's going to be second post or top of D. So you better you better make sure you're there, you know, like yeah. uh, and it's just building those and then building those two V two concepts. So what you probably saw with the players is like one of them would be going, Well, I did this, so I need you to come and do this more. 
or I need you to come and do that morning, just framing that conversation. But there is a health warning with it, right? Because it can go too far and it can be too much talk and it can be, so you have to be able to, I don't know, open the accordion and close it when you want as a coach. Um, and I think at times, I can't remember in, in that video, at times you need to be able to say, no, look, yeah, the discussion is great, but your job is now to do it. My job is to put that discussion together and build the, the framework and build the strategy and build the plan. But you're judged on what you do, um, sadly, because you're a player, right? And But let's let's not make any mistakes here. The more that you can... I like to get the players to help you build the strategy and help you build it for two reasons. One, they're part of it. They've got to play it. Two, they've got some good knowledge. And, and to the thirdly, you get better buy-in, I think, from the players. So, yeah, it's a, it's a skill, but it's a skill. I like. And the tactics board, and sorry, the, the table is because we're talking about body position. We're talking about perception. We're talking about if my body position's this way, what do you need to support me? Because I'm communicating with you with my body. I don't need to tell you. I'm doing it with my body. So that the, the Subutio and the tactics board is there for that reference about the detail that sits behind it. You said it's a skill there, and I completely agree. I almost feel that, not in communicator coach education, but just in general, maybe in, in social media and in messaging, like a coach-led environment is bad and a player-led environment is good. But in reality, there is a time that the players will have to, we're all agreeing that we're going in this direction. Would you agree with that? Um, I think if I understand your question, it's like there still needs to be someone that drives the bus. Well, there needs to be someone making the call. It's some yeah, element. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, and do you know what? I think like you, that that's the coach, right? Because at times at times the players need you to make that. So I always say, you know, like, you know, when they go to war, sometimes, and it depends on the player, right? So and this is where I think the player comes into the mix and the melting pot effect. It, it'll always depend on the player because some players like to be told, some players don't like to be told. But I don't think we can, you know, um, and I think it, it differs on the different age groups, you know. So I think I would, I would coach, I would coach differently with the kids than I would coach with the youth, than I coach with the seniors. And I think this is where we definitely have skilled coaches with, wide foundation phases and skilled coaches with senior and that's not to say everything with senior is didactic and told because it doesn't need to be and it isn't and that's not to say with um the kids it's always about just being free for me it's like anything in life it's balance right <laughs> it's being it's being able to balance in the situation and in the moment about when you want to get the most out of your players or when they need you the most you know and sometimes needing it is like I don't know. It's like being a parent. Sometimes you need to tell your kids because they're going to put their they're going to put their finger in the electric shock, and we know that because we have experiences. So don't let them do that because it's you know. And actually, sometimes you need to let them fall over and fall off the bike a little bit. And and I think it's for me, it's exactly the same in teaching, and coaching, and in high performance. The difference at high performance is you know you've got the the winning bit a lot more. I think, and, and I think that's right because we're growing kids to to learn the game and, and enjoy the game. And, and and I had that three court things I think we talked about, which is probably built in that way. Yeah, your your my game, uh, our game, your game methodology. I thought this was this was brilliant. I was talking to our staff about this today. Like the, I, what I really like about it actually is that you've. You've cl you've provided clarity in the initial like my game again like I feel a lot of coaches today are are trying to involve the player in so many decisions that the player would actually like a little bit more clarification and and but what I was interested from your perspective was 
why or what are some ways that, that you feel that you have to be clear on that initial structure? Why has that got to be coach-led, I suppose, in the build? Yep, yeah, no, that's, that's a great question. I think, I, you know, I picked that up on my world coaching rounds. And I think, like, one advice that I got from an experienced coach was, you know, whenever you play another coach, speak to them, speak to them about what they try to do to beat you, what you try to do to me. And I've done that for the last 20 years. Like I'll try not always get that, but I always say, you know, how did you try and beat me? Right. And I, I can remember having this, and one of them said to me, you know, you've got, um, you've got some great things. You just need to maybe just need to grow the clarity, which was great. So this was donkeys years ago. Um, because, you know, as we grow as coaches, you're right. We, we sometimes want to give too much freedom into, and I thought I sat down and I thought, right, this is what I want it to be. Um, in, like you say in the in the build phase or the first phase or the back phase you you give options but ultimately i'm giving those options because i i i think there are good and better options and in a way i don't want it to be so free that no one knows what i'm doing as a player because we're not going to get out of the press we're not going to get out of the situation so we have to be very collective in what we do to get out of that yes that doesn't mean if you see a 1v1, you can't make the decision as a player. But ultimately, my strategy is what's going to be implemented on you as players here and how I want you to play out of this pressure. Um, because I think that gives, in that third, in futsal, in football, that also gives um, clar clarity is definitely that, but also comfort, right? Because no one wants to make a bad decision on, on the edge of their own area. So let's try and make it so that I can support you by giving you more, right? I support you by telling you more. Um, and then as we move through the thirds, you know, we need the innovation, the creativity at the final third that we don't want teams to know what we're doing structurally so much. We want you to be free. We want you to. And in the middle bit, it's a bit of both of us. You know, it's a bit of how we're going to build and how we're going to structure patterns and how we're going to get into our, you know, finalization or finishing phase. So it is really built around, you know, the technical what requirements we need, the tactical, the, the psychological demands of being in those areas on the pitch, and then the social bit, how do we connect the players? Um, so, yeah, I would be, you know, we set up a team to play Italy who are a lot, lot stronger than us in futsal, and I set up a team about, like, we're going to use the keeper, and we're going to draw Italy in, and after two touches out of his feet, we're going to go diagonal, and we're going to try and catch them. That's our game. And, you know, quite didactic, quite, mm. quite one in this. Um, and then other teams, we've done it where we've played more out, so we didn't think their press is as good. So we would have a pattern or like you say, a rotation that would be very a bit more robotic maybe. Um, but then a bit more freedom comes as we go through the court. Yeah. Brilliant. It's uh, really, really interesting. That, that story there about asking the coach um, about just about your own team there. Fantastic. Whenever, whenever you, you mentioned at the start about going to Thailand as a player, having that, I open an experience. Did you have you found or have you experienced anything as a coach where you've gone to a different environment and thought in a futsal context and been like, "This is what it should look like," or "This is"? I mean, I'm I'm picturing Brazil here, and uh, mm. I'm, I'm guessing that you've been over there. I mean, what are some differences in cultures? What are some things that you wanted to take from other places and bring to the the England team? Yeah, I suppose one. Um... Yeah, great question. I think every 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 culture is, is slightly different. And I think the success of the Spanish was probably when they stopped trying to be like Brazil. <laughs> Sounds mm. stupid, but they take the good elements from Brazil and, and try and build themselves. But I think every culture we've 
with futsal. Like football is slightly different, you know. People play the systems in futsal. There's a way of defending. There's a way of attacking. Exactly like eleven v eleven, but it's been developed over seventy years. You know, so I'm I'm a newbie really to some of the old. You know, I've been doing it you know twenty odd years, but I'm a newbie compared to some people that have just grown up with it as a as a game. Um, but one thing that strikes me is um, the intensity. There is a lot more higher intensity of which these actions are happening that can only come from, you know, a pathway of high intensity decision making, understanding the skills, understanding the concepts. So, like I said, on on on, it can look really free and it is free, but there's a framework to it. There's a structure to it. Um, but within that structure, there is the freedom to be yourself and the freedom to take on players and the freedom to go past players. But ultimately they're making that decision on the space and the gaps. So I'd say one thing that I, you know, I think the other cultures do really well is coaching the space and coaching the gaps and letting the players exploit those in certain ways. You know, like the big picture system four four two is that probably only there at the start of a game. After that, it's about players, spaces and gaps. And I think that's definitely where I see where futsal helps develop really talented footballers where they can then transition into the 11 via game. And it's like, oh, I've done this before somewhere and it looks a bit like this, but actually I can really just jump across. Um, so you, when they get into 2v2 situations or 3v3 situations, you know, I think there's there's huge synergies that we rush, and I'm not sure about America, but in, in England, we rush coaches and players from foundation phase right to 11 v 11. And even though we've got the formats that go through it, the coaches are really thinking about the, the system. When actually, I always think like in a car, when a car breaks down, you don't just get rid of the engine and change the whole system. So, you know, when a 442 is not working, is it because it's the wrong system or is it because some of the parts aren't working together? Is it because the 2v2s or the 3v3s aren't working together? Uh, and I think that's where education educated futsal coaches that i've seen are really masters they're absolutely masters at that detail they're absolutely masters at working out those those problems yeah something that i've i've seen over here and i don't think we do a good good job here of just coaching problem solving in general in our society over here but we always talk about creating 2v1s in white areas and it's the most under you i i rarely see a 2v1 actually used and it must be the most easiest overload in the history of the game is isolated fallback attacking fallback wide attacker um yeah. that comes from not directly but that can come from just rushing through processes as a from a development standpoint yeah yes yeah, it's, it's, it's a great point because you know in a 2v1 in or a 3v2 or an overload in futsal is like gold dust right? mm. like gold dust you, you know for us, you don't take that, you've missed an opportunity to score, generally. Mm. We like the 2v2s matched up because we like to take advantage. So we always, you know, like 1v1, if you can't take advantage, boom, you've got to go 2v2. And as the numbers get bigger, 4v4, 3v3, 2v2, as the numbers get bigger, it's harder to take advantage of a matched up. Mm. If the numbers are smaller, so I'd say to you, know, think about 2v2s. How do you take advantage as a pair against another pair rather than the overload. So I think it's easier to create overloads and probably, yeah, it's a good, great, great point actually. Cause I think actually like um, a solution to a football problem means getting another number, right? So how do we get another number involved? So how do we make this four V five or five V four, or how do we make this six V five to get that overload, which is great. A solution sometimes in futsal, that's so hard to get. How do you take advantage matched up? 
positional superiority, individual superiority, court superiority. So, yeah, and I think that's probably another tool that I've seen, you know, learn a lot in my time in futsal, that how how you can take advantage 2v2. How do you flatten out? How do you temporize the game, change the tempo of the game to get defenders flat, to get the space in behind? You know, so we, we, we have a system called 4-0, which is like playing out from the back as a four. And ultimately, it's about moving the ball to draw defenders to you to create more space in behind. And then how do you take advantage of that situation? Um, you hear that a lot in football. You know, how do you take advantage matched up? How do you take advantage matched up? So yeah, if you get two v one, take it, take it, take it. <laughs> uh, last couple for you here. This is this is flown. Um, your role at Loughborough um, in in two thousand twelve for a few years, and and obviously coming from Northern Ireland myself, there's a there's quite a few coaches that have come out of Loughborough yeah. that are working in full time football. Was there what what was there in that environment? Uh, 10 plus years ago that, that you were looking as a director there to create for the coaches of tomorrow? Yeah, so, wow, Loughborough is an amazing place, right? Um, I, I think Loughborough is like, yeah, just phenomenal for, for certain reasons. One is you, you're, you're, you're around lots of other high-performance sports. So you can pick, cherry-pick, nick, steal, you know, against some things that you're around for sports. And rather than like, sports people coming into you and teaching you what they do in I don't know hockey or teaching what they do in cricket or teaching you as a guest what they do in cycling if you immerse yourself with other different sports you you tend to or I tended to go out and take things I wanted from those sports and you work with them you develop them you nurture them um, and that's the culture so Luffa's got that culture of you know and I think like you say I think it's brilliant I think at one point there was like 95% of sports analysts in the Premier League were from Loughborough. And it, because it's got the education, because it's got the research, because it's got the practical element to it, you find it's just this microcosm of, if that's the right term, this this area of, you know, coaches coming out of the game because they've been involved in that culture at Loughborough that is about, you know, trying things, failing, innovation, nicking from each other, um, and that. And I, and I think like, yeah, lots of people have come through it. But when I was there, you know, as a few years ago now, before I took on a national role, like, I you always sounds again back in my Loughborough days they said always don't support the young coach but don't forget to learn from them because a young coach are connected with what the modern game looks like so if you want to keep yourself modern when the young coaches come through you've got to connect with them um and it doesn't matter what sport and sometimes I think we think um the, the younger coaches coming through because they're young they don't have good ideas well in fact they're the innovators they're the ones that are probably bringing the new ideas to the table and, you know, like technology or, or all these moving parts that we now have. So I think one thing I learned and I got my coaches to understand is you need to be practically good first as in a coach. You need to be understand learning. You need to understand, and this is where I like performance systems. So how do performance services connect? And Loughborough is brilliant for that for me. You know, managing an MDT team, managing your staff team, how do these evolve? And how do you get the best out of, of players and, and and staff? And one mantra they have is like, it's a great mantra is um, always do the right thing when no one is looking, right? And that's their sort of strap line. Where history begins and always do the right thing when no one is looking, which basically means like, it's easy to do the right thing as an athlete, as a coach, when their eyes are on you. Actually, you win medals, you become better when it's not on you and you're there on your own and you're struggling to think, to, to develop. So... 
Yeah, I don't know if that answers your question, but uh, absolutely yeah. no. It's uh, I again fascinated by it. I just saw a couple of weeks ago with Eric Ramsey going yeah, to United and uh, Kier, yeah, I put Salon to me. Eric did. <laughs> oh, did he? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and Kieran McKenna as well. Did you work with Kieran? Kieran oh, Kieran, well, yeah, one of the coaches when I was there at the football program. Yeah, so you know, over you know, there's been some, which is great to see. It's great to see them going into the game, and you know, you only have to look at people before me, Tom Curtis. Uh, Tony Strudwick, uh, a guy called James Ellison, scouting. And, you know, it, it's just this hub of learning, really. And not afraid to, I would say, the two things that people don't understand about Loughborough is one is sport, one is entrepreneurs. So in Loughborough, there's lots of entrepreneurs that come out as a business school and it makes a lot of its investment through. And they sort of link naturally, right, in terms of innovation and you're you, you pushed to innovate, you're pushed to try things new. And I think if you take the football program, for example, like it's a high performance system. We're, we're getting players out of the game. We are trying to get players back in the game. We're trying to win futsal. We're trying to win the women's game. We're trying to do all that. But you don't get sacked if you don't, if you lose. So actually you're allowed to do, I think that means that you're allowed to do more and, and experiment more as a coach or a leader to find yourself, to find how you want to work and then how you want to develop it in your processes. So yeah, I'm not. I'm trying to sell Loughborough, aren't I? But I think it's just like I'm not trying to sell it. But I think in my that was my time there. That's and I tried to get my you know Eric Ramsey and those coaches to to really think about it in that way and don't forget to innovate because that's what keeps you current. Mm. No, it's it's also inspiring for like the, I think there is a new a new not a, I don't know if it's new anymore, but the the players that don't have the player coaches that don't have the player experience. And that know then they see coaches at the highest level that they know that if they apply themselves and they also got to be good, uh, but you can, you know, I think analysis has grown, science has grown, but then just seeing coaches on the grass, I think that's, that's something that young coaches need to see as well. Yeah, definitely. And I think 100% there's some, you know, great examples, Eric or Kieran played a little bit, but, you know, let's take, you know, they, they have played a little bit, but not like you say, Premier League players coming down into the game. And I think it helps to have a playing experience. Is it to be all and end all? No. You can still make it in the game in, in a volunteer way. I think one thing I've definitely seen that maybe if I could, you know, tell youngsters today is, and it doesn't matter what coach you've seen, I believe every coach has done the hard yards, has worked hard behind the scenes, has volunteered, you know, for days on end. And you see these top coaches, but, you know, you know, and that's, and I think that's another thing like Loughborough, every single sport athlete you could be out of you could be getting back from a game in sterling that we had at five in the morning and people are out running you've got adam Peaty going to the swimming pool at 5 a.m you've got the rowers going out and you like it's like geez it's dark it's five and there's all these people around what's going on and it's like a culture of like drive 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 if you want to get out of loughborough successful the one thing you learn is like if you work don't work hard you don't commit you don't learn you don't volunteer in every aspect in terms of supporting the game or whatever you want to be someone next to you is doing it so they've got more chance it's not necessarily they'll make it but they've got more chance of being better uh, well we can start a new podcast here so <laughs> well, we're moving away to my last question which is like advice for coaches but I kind of want to tie that in because a conversation I was having a couple of weeks ago with a colleague was I feel that Coach, we've made coach education very outcome driven at the minute where they're, you're trying to get your A license or your B license and you go and maybe to, maybe I'm thinking of it now because we're in a remote learning uh, time so yeah. but you're not those coaches aren't really 
getting you, you're not really graded on the impact of your environment you're graded on yeah. your assessments and your paperwork yeah. but are you really learning you know to to make those interactions count with your players you know yeah. like okay yeah makes sense i i think that um over the last sort of five to ten years with what i saw with the advanced i'll give the fa because i know that the, the advanced youth awards and that development i think was brilliant um mm-hmm. because it it more honed in on like how you deal with your players yeah so i always say this like you you can have my sessions i'm not bothered because at the end of the day my session what it looks like with my players is different what it's going to look like with your players and x players and y players so you know like i i think that you you can't copy culture. You can have frameworks that work for it, but you can't copy it. You know, how I worked with Loughborough, we work with it. I might have things that I use that I go back to and I've learned over my time how I want to operate. But I think top coaches, you can't copy culture. You can't, you, the players are different. So everything, there's so many moving parts as a coach. You need to understand the moving parts and how to want to, and how you want to be in those moving parts. And I think that's, that's, that's got better over the, over time. I think, but the challenge you have, right, is for me, the system, because the system drives jobs and drives requirements and drives an A license to get X and drives a B license to get Y. And, mm-hmm. you know, like, you know, and the, the generally like if you're more a senior coach, you might get a better job that's paid more, which I think is wrong. I think the specialist in youth development, the specialist in foundation phase. And I, I would love to see a, a top club kick the curb a little bit and go, Do you know what? foundation phase is where we're going to really grow our players and we're going to put some real good salaries in there mm. and we're going to put some real good development you know i'm not a i'm not a foundation phase coach because i've grown up with senior players at loughborough at national teams i work with senior players 16s and above 15 16s and above i would say to put i i would not it scares the hell out of me working with kids right and that's not because you know of the kids the kids are great it scares the hell out of me because i can't get the most out of them like a guy called Pete Sturgis can, who's, you know, so he's an absolute guru in that area. So I believe that we need to look at it as more modulization for a coach. So I generally believe that coaching will move down the road of like a spiral learning curriculum. Like, you know, we talk about 2v2s and 3v3s. A 2v2 for a foundation phase looks very different at 2v2 trying to win a World Cup in football. But actually, we need to understand that depending on where we're working and how we structure it and how we build it. So I think the the modern coaching system will become more modulized where you know you go into a sweet shop as a coach and you pick what you think you're missing rather than you tell me what i'm missing and then give me a certificate around it um but i i do also believe there has to be a level of competence and i'm not i haven't got the answers to this by the way but i'm just saying like so the certificates give you a level of competence mm-hmm. probably start the journey rather than end it so any mm-hmm. coach you know you know when you get your a license yes you get over the line but you probably don't know how to use the a license yet so if you want to be successful it's got to be how you use it um like driving right you, you know like you get your driving certificate you go home to your mum and dad and go wow i've passed and the first thing they do is like oh my god you're gonna go out on your own like <laughs> yeah, you know, that, that, that's what they do don't you you're not having a car because i don't want you to get on the motorway on you mm-hmm. and I, I think coaching is a bit like that in that sense and yeah. but i think the system drives that and i think that's the, the failing maybe in the system but i don't know a better way of doing it you know in all of my experiences how do, how do you differentiate within a system where everybody's trying to do it but I, yeah i would like to see more specialisms get the rewards for how good they are at their specialism brilliant yeah, yeah. um last one coaches that are listening to this and 
maybe in the US, maybe in the UK, maybe somewhere around the world that that are looking to say, you know what, I would my specialty, I'd love to go into futsal. I'd love to to learn more about it. I'd love to get stuck into it. What advice would you have for them? Um, get into it. Just like yeah, if the like for me, there's, there's there's three tiers of of futsal, and I think to be clear, um, the three tiers of this it's um recreational, like what I say, you know, people can play futsal just for fun or coach it just for fun. There's what I call more structured community futsal or club futsal or grassroots where you want to know a bit more. And again, this this could be for football development, futsal development, and then there's like elite futsal or and then there's performance futsal, and I think. You know what? Why do you want to get into futsal? Why do you want to do it? What's the reasons for it? If you want to do it for football development, then don't just do it for recreational. Go and think about it with a club. Go and see a, a local club that's doing it more and a local coach that's doing it more. Um, sometimes, if you jump to high performance futsal, you can be really turned off because you're like, "Oh my god, what is going on here?" And actually, so don't be afraid to you know to go down to your local futsal club and just have the conversations or have a conversation with a person to go, what is going on here? And, you know, support that way. And, you know, treat it like in a way that you're going to see a different sport. Um, but knowing that, you know, quite a bit because it's similar to the game if you're coming in from a football environment, but definitely um, does it make you a better player? I think it, if I'd have played it more as a younger, I think I'd be a better player. Definitely. Um, and I think we see that from like we've talked about today, most of the coaches i think that the one thing that futsal does a lot in is 2v2s 3v3s and all the sort of components around that and you know everyone thinks it's 5v5 so we're always coaching 5v5 that's like 11v11 being 11v11 always coaching it. you know you go 7v7 9v9 same in futsal we go 3v3 a lot and 2v2 a lot so if you're looking for those sort of nuggets and some different ideas around that within football you can do that um and I think it will hook you, right? I think it will hook you because of the things that we've been speaking around today. And then you've got you know, more of a, do you go futsal? Do you go football? Do you like futsal? You know, choices in life, I think, are good, right? For players, for coaches, for everyone, you know. But understanding the choice in more detail is is quite good. And uh, yeah, it's, it's it, you know, obviously I've been in the game a long time. It's, it's exciting. It's exciting mm -hmm. to be, be part of, so... Yeah, but so is football, right? It's exciting as well. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Michael, outstanding. This is absolutely flown. One of my favourite interviews. It's just been, uh, I feel like I've let even the, the research of it, uh, I just I really enjoyed. It's something that I'm going to take more of an interest in. Um, yeah. And uh, and it's uh, it's got so much. I think the tactical understanding of it is, is absolutely fascinating and the player ownership side of it uh, yeah. for me personally. So thank you so much for coming on. Fantastic. Yeah. No, thank you for having me. Hopefully it's helped and uh, good luck with everything else. Thank you for listening to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. For more coaching topics, sessions, and resources, head on over to Coach Kerneen on Facebook or visit the website at www.modernsoccercoach.com.